Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. This is the tech news for September 7th, 2021. It's a Tuesday. And we got a ton of stuff to cover, and a lot of it is pretty heavy, so let's get to it. Tech Times reports that the Russian government has cracked down on six virtual private network services as the country is nearing a parliamentary election. And virtual private networks, aka VPNs, have lots of different uses. A lot of companies use VPNs for employees to log into before they use corporate systems. One big reason to use VPNs is that it provides a shield when browsing stuff on the internet. So the way it works from a very high level is you log into a VPN, essentially a server, and then the VPN does all the info fetching for you. So to someone who is snooping from the outside looking at your connection, all they would see is that you are connected to a VPN. They wouldn't be able to see what you were doing beyond that. So if you were researching stuff, maybe you're researching stuff that the government would disapprove of. Let's say you're in Russia and you wanted to research something 
that perhaps the government wasn't in favor of. Well, using a VPN, it would be very difficult for them to figure that out. Now, this is, of course, assuming that the VPN in question is encrypting all communications that are taking place and also taking appropriate steps to protect users. So if that's all true, then yeah, it stands as a way for people to access stuff without outsiders necessarily being privy to it. Anyway, if the government feels like this is a bad thing, then the really the easiest course of action is to block VPN services in that country. And that's what Russia has done. So those services include big names. If you've been listening to podcasts or watching videos, you probably heard some of these because they often advertise on those. So it includes stuff like NordVPN, ExpressVPN, IPVanishVPN, Ola VPN, Keep Solid VPN, and Speedify VPN. Now, according to Russian representatives, this whole move has nothing to do with the elections. It's to block services to uh, curb illegal activity, such as the spread of child pornography, which is frequently kind of the messaging that you will hear whenever any government starts to crack down on stuff like this. Russian representatives have also threatened companies like Google and Apple for allowing an app that was created by Alexei Navalny's organization. Uh, He's a critic of Vladimir Putin. And so the, you know, the the fact that that's also happening in line with the shutdown of VPNs starts to kind of point toward reasons other than curbing illegal activity. Um, In fact, the Russian government has said that Google and Apple are essentially interfering with Russian elections, which, uh, you know, if I can take a moment to add some opinion, that's pretty freaking rich coming from Russia, a country that has interfered with elections around the world, including U.S. elections a few times and will no doubt continue to do so. Anyway, it's a good idea to pay attention to these sorts of things, because while it's happening in Russia right now, That country is only one of many that has political leaders trying to get a firmer grip on the flow of information. Some of those other countries are pretty darn close to home. Some of them might actually be home. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the NSO Group. That's a company out of Israel. That group's responsible for designing malware called Pegasus, and it allows an external user access to infected devices remotely. So in other words... If you infect a device with this malware, you then can access that device in various ways, including things like accessing a smartphone's microphone and camera. Essentially, NSO Group creates software that turns various devices into, and like, you know, computers and smartphones into spies. That's what it really gets down to. It, uh, it allows for surveillance. The NSO Group markets this technology to various governments and does so under the protection of the Israeli government. That means that technically the NSO group is not supposed to market this to any country that is on unfriendly terms with Israel. Uh, The company has shown a pretty blatant disregard for accountability. It has made claims that I argue are contradictory. For example, the company says it prohibits customers from misusing the malware to target, say, that customer's own citizens in an effort to exert authoritarian control. In other words, NSO group says, No, this is an order for us to protect against things like acts of terrorism. But there have been numerous reports saying that NSO Group's customers include uh, repressive and oppressive governments that are using that technology against journalists, 
activists and their own citizens. However, the company also says at the same time that it has no way of monitoring how its customers actually use its products. So that that ends up being a contradiction, right? They're saying, okay, well, we're only going to sell it to people who are using it properly. Also, there's no way for us to know how they're using it. Well, that's like NSO Group saying, all right, here you go, but don't go using this in ways we don't approve of because there's no way for us to track you, right? Like, that's the message there. Anyway, a an organization called Citizen Lab recently re- released a report. In fact, they've released a few, but the most recent report shows that it had identified nine activists in Bahrain who had their devices compromised by the NSO group Pegasus Malware between June of 2020 and February of this year. And one thing that makes this malware particularly effective is that it can infect iOS devices through what is called a zero-click attack, uh, essentially a message in iMessage, which means the target does not have to click on like a malicious link or anything like that to activate the malware. That means that the whole advice of don't click on any links you don't trust doesn't even apply here because it doesn't require a link. Like I literally, the morning that I'm recording this, I received a message on a different messaging service that was a link attack. Like it was trying to get me to click on a link and to enter my credentials there. Fortunately, even early in the morning before my coffee, I recognized it as an attack. Anyway, more human rights organizations are calling on NSO Group to be held accountable for facilitating authoritarian acts and furthering the capabilities of repressive regimes. They pointed out that entities like the Bahraini government could use these tools to seek out, detain, and even torture targets that the government determines are, you know, a problem. And by a problem, I mean people who just happen to disagree with the government, not necessarily someone who's like a terrorist or anything like that. So, like I said, a lot of uh, journalists and diplomats have been targets of NSO Group's Pegasus malware from various customers of NSO Group, and it's an ongoing problem that just seems to be getting worse. All right, let's stay on theme, because this next story ties in with both of the previous ones. ProPublica has published a piece, it's a lot of alliteration there, about WhatsApp and a contradiction in WhatsApp's uh, brand identity as a secure messaging platform. All right, so just in case you're not familiar, the elevator pitch for WhatsApp is that it is an end-to-end encrypted messaging service. That means that if you and a buddy are messaging and you're using WhatsApp, every message you send to your buddy is encrypted and can only be decrypted on the other end of that communication channel. Your buddy is the only person who has the correct decrypt key to read those messages. And then every message your buddy sends to you is also encrypted and only you hold the decrypt key for those messages so no one else can read them. The same is true for any images or videos or links or anything else that's sent on WhatsApp between the two of you. And WhatsApp is an incredibly popular messaging service. Not as much in the United States, but in other parts of the world, very much so. So, According to the company, no one outside of you and your buddy would be able to understand what your messages are and that Facebook, which is the owner of WhatsApp, would not be able to see those messages. WhatsApp would not be able to have any idea of what it was you were sending between the two of you because it would be encrypted. 
And so it's private and secure. However, the company also has hundreds of contract workers whose job it is to moderate or police content sent across WhatsApp. And you might think, wait a minute, how is it possible to moderate or police content if no one can see the unencrypted stuff except for the users involved? Well, there is one really big exception to this. If someone were to tag an incoming message as being against WhatsApp's policies, like you tag a message and you say that it's spam or that it's abusive or, you know, something along those lines, then that sends an alert to WhatsApp to review the communication. So some contract worker somewhere, maybe Austin, Texas, because there's a lot of them there, and this is a person who technically does not work for WhatsApp or for Facebook. They work for another company that serves as the kind of the the employment center for these contract workers who then are contracting with WhatsApp. That person would be sent the unencrypted offending message from the receiver, as well as the four previous messages that preceded the one that allegedly was against the policy. So in other words, you know, if you receive a message, your side unencrypts that message. From that point forward, that message is in plain text. You can read it. So if someone were to get access to your phone, they could read all that con- content, right? If they tried to intercept the message, it would be encrypted. But once it's on your device, they can read it. Well, that's what this system does. If you flag something in WhatsApp, it sends the unencrypted message on for review. Now, I point all this out because... This is a sort of backdoor through the security measures, and and you can kind of understand why it exists in that any platform wants to reassure its users that those users are going to be protected from harassment and other abuse. But on the other hand, backdoors through security systems are almost always a bad idea. And that's because of the possibility that someone somewhere is going to abuse that exception to the secure system and then turn it to nefarious purposes. Moreover, since WhatsApp's brand is so heavily geared toward you know, privacy and security in communication, this really undermines the brand's position. It undermines the brand's actual identity. ProPublica also points out that Facebook analyzes tons of metadata related to WhatsApp communications. Metadata, in case you're not familiar with the term, that's information about information. So really, it's all the stuff about a communication except for the content of the communication itself. Metadata can include who was involved in the communication, like which were the parties that were talking with each other, what time were messages being sent back and forth, where were people when they were actually sending information, you know, you pair it with like geolocation data, that kind of thing. And you could determine a lot of stuff through metadata analysis. You wouldn't know what the actual content of the messages were, but you might be able to hazard a guess just by examining enough metadata to figure out, you know, what's going on. And that too is a huge threat to privacy and security. WhatsApp users were understandably really upset when Facebook first announced that some data collected from WhatsApp would then be shared to Facebook proper and that the company itself would get into hot water because Reps from Facebook had previously sworn to EU officials that incorporating that kind of 
ability was technically impossible between WhatsApp and Facebook. They said, yeah, there's no way for us to do it, even if we wanted to. We don't want to want to, but even if we wanted to, we couldn't do it. Then they turned around and said, hey, guess what we're doing? So that was not, you know, <laughs> consistent. But yeah, it's just something to keep in mind. And it helps remind us that most of Facebook's revenue depends upon the company collecting and then leveraging, or if you prefer, exploiting information about users. So with that in mind, it's a really safe bet to assume that any product coming out of Facebook contributes to that pursuit. That even on the face of it, if it isn't all about collecting your data in order to sell more stuff to you, somewhere down the line, that is what's going on because that's Facebook's business. That's how Facebook makes money. So yeah, important to know. And it also explains why Facebook was willing to shell out billions and billions of dollars to acquire WhatsApp in the first place. So all the things that people were worried about when Facebook did that are kind of manifesting or becoming evident. Uh, yeah. So important to remember, we're going to have some more stories that kind of relate back to some of the themes we've already talked about. I know it gets kind of dark and oppressive, but it's important to know about them. But hey, I, I don't know about you, but I could use a quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, 
an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back and it's time to go down under in Australia. Um, sorry, that was terrible. I had to introduce a little levity with my terrible, terrible uh, not even Australian accent. You can't even give it that much, but yeah, my terrible attempt because there's a new bill that's introducing some troubling powers for law enforcement with regard to online information in Australia. Uh, there's this piece of legislation. It's called the surveillance legislation amendment, uh, parentheses, identify and disrupt end parentheses bill. And it introduces three new powers for law enforcement. The first is that Law enforcement will be able to obtain a, quote, data disruption warrant, end quote, and that in turn gives law enforcement the right to copy, delete, or modify data in order to disrupt it. Now, that alone is horrifying, and and I'll get to why I find it horrifying in just a bit. But second, the second power is that law enforcement will be able to apply for and obtain a, quote, network activity warrant, end quote, that gives them the power to collect data from networks and devices that are believed to be used or may be used with relation to illegal activity. The third power is that they can obtain an, quote, account takeover warrant, end quote, and that would give them the authority to do exactly what that sounds like, to take over an account entirely in order to gather information on an investigation. So for example, if you, if the Australian police think that, you know, Jimmy, the the crook is, is involved in a, a criminal operation, which I mean, seems logical because he's called Jimmy, the crook, then they could take over. They could get a warrant to take over Jimmy, the crook's Facebook profile and post as Jimmy the Crook in an effort to gather information about Jimmy the Crook's accomplices and potentially have like a full sting operation. But yeah, once you get down to it, this is all terrible. And again, I totally get that for law enforcement, online communications stand as a huge challenge. Criminals can and do use all sorts of platforms to communicate and coordinate. And it can be a challenge to disrupt that. And it sure would be valuable to be able to to go in there and manipulate stuff, perhaps setting up a sting operation to catch criminals in the act and bring them to justice. But these provisions give way too much power to law enforcement. So imagine that there's a legal process for the police to get a warrant. So they do have to at least go through the steps of getting a warrant. But let's assume that it's not too difficult to do that. So they go get a warrant and then they can go in and manipulate stuff that you have posted online. They can go in and change the things you have posted. Arguably, they could manipulate the stuff you post in such a way 
that you appear to have posted incriminating material when in fact you did not do any such thing. So an authoritarian government could literally manufacture evidence against you. And then you could be held accountable for something you never did. This is the equivalent of the trope you see. And usually it's in a comedy where a cop drops a a brown paper bag next to someone then picks it up and says, well, what do we have here? Illicit drugs. It's kind of like that, but on the data side of things. Now, that's just one scenario in which this bill becomes a nightmare. But again, it wouldn't even take an authoritarian government for this to go wrong. Building in systems that would allow law enforcement to do these sorts of things means that you have to create vulnerabilities so that the police can go in and do it, right? You have to have a way for police to access those platforms and those accounts in order to do this data manipulation. However, If you do that, if you create those vulnerabilities, it gives the chance for other people to potentially exploit those. Now, I've used this analogy many times before, but here we go. It's like you've got a gold reserve and you store tons of gold bars in that reserve and you've got this huge vault and you have a solid vault door with like time locks and all this complicated stuff. And it's really it's like practically impossible to break through. However, you also include a little back door in the vault that's protected by a cheap padlock because you need to occasionally get into the vault and you don't want to go through the trouble of unlocking the big door. Well, anytime you create exceptions to a secure system, you essentially nullify the security. So no matter how you shake it, this bill is bad news. It creates far too much surveillance power on the law enforcement side, and it introduces the possibility for bad actors to take advantage of a system for their own purposes. Heck, it also means people can end up with a plausible alibi for all online communications. Because if there exists a way to go in and change someone else's stuff online perhaps even to the point of fabricating messages on behalf of another person, well, that wa- the waters are then muddied, right, when it comes to holding someone accountable for their online actions, because you could conceivably argue that you never posted something incriminating, because there is a system that exists that allows others to change what you post without your consent. So in other words, it can actually weaken legal cases rather than strengthen them. Now, there's no word yet on how big ISPs and platforms are going to work within this legislation in Australia, but this is the kind of stuff that really worries me. And the hits just keep on coming. So maybe you've heard of a service called ProtonMail. Maybe you use it. This email service uses end-to-end encryption to keep communications private between users. And just like WhatsApp, the service's reputation depends heavily upon that fact, the idea that your communications are secure through ProtonMail. And the bottom line is that you use ProtonMail to protect your communication from folks snooping on you. Well, now that service is kind of on the hot seat in the public eye, because ProtonMail recently responded to a demand from police in Switzerland to give up the IP address belonging to a climate activist in France, which ProtonMail did. So why were the Swiss concerned about a French climate activist? Well, that's because the French authorities asked the Swiss for help. It was ultimately the French authorities that wanted to track down this activist who was responsible or 
you know, activists who are responsible for organizing various protests in France, high-profile protests. And so these authorities called up their buddies in Switzerland, and they said, hey, love the chocolate. Do us a solid and lean on Proton Mail to give us the IP address for this activist, okay? And the Swiss did. Proton Mail, I should point out, is headquartered in Switzerland. And thus, when the Swiss authorities came knocking, the company didn't really have a whole lot of options, at least from a legal standpoint. And the CEO of Proton said as much, that the company is legally bound to follow local laws. And so there was really no recourse other than to comply with the demand from the Swiss authorities. The actual communication in the email service remains encrypted, so the company legitimately cannot read any of the material sent through those addresses. They cannot reveal what communications were sent, nor does Proton Mail have information on who owns a particular email address, but they can give you an IP address associated with a specific email address. They just can't say definitively, this email address belongs to, you know, Joan Smith or something. But as I mentioned earlier, Metadata can reveal an awful lot about a person, so it's quite probable that French authorities are using that information to try and track down activists who have arranged those really effective protests in France around issues like affordable housing and climate concerns. So pretty scary stuff. Sticking with tech and politics, but now moving to the absurd, Business Insider reports that 13 House Republicans in the United States sent a letter to Marissa Meyer, the, quote, president and chief executive officer of Yahoo, end quote. Uh, And they were saying that she should better well not hand over any personal information of you know, any Republicans or anyone really over to an investigative committee that's looking into the January 6th insurrection in Washington, D.C. Only, okay, hey, House Republicans, you 13 folks, Marissa Meyer stepped down from Yahoo back in 2017, so she hasn't been in charge of that company for several years. She wasn't in charge of the company during the whole lead up to the 2020 election, let alone the insurrection on January 6th. And the fact that no one decided to fact check that or, I don't know, do a simple internet search, I mean, they could have even used Yahoo to do it, that speaks volumes not just about tech literacy, but arguably just plain literacy. It's an embarrassing display of ignorance. Anyway, at the heart of the matter is the issue of one party in government power using its authority to demand information and records about another party and doing so with companies like ISPs and social media platforms and companies that provide email and telecommunications companies and more. And to be clear, I think there is merit in that concern. I think we do need a thorough investigation into the January 6th riots, including an investigation into whether or not anyone in government facilitated or encouraged the insurrection and to what degree, and to whether or not it was a criminal degree. I think all of that needs to happen. However, I also think we have to be careful in how that investigation advances. Otherwise, you could imagine a future in which whichever party happens to be in power can lean on companies in order to repress political opponents. That's not good. That's authoritarian no matter which way you... you Uh, subscribe politically. And anyone who has listened to me for a little while probably has a pretty good feel for where my personal politics are. So you know it's not easy for me to necessarily side with conservatives about data surveillance. But some things I think need to be off the table. However, I also want to make clear 
Those rules have to apply across the board, not just to Democrats who are looking into this, but period to everyone for all time, because otherwise it becomes a free for all and it's a nightmare. Now, I'm pretty sure that a few weeks ago, I mentioned that El Salvador representatives were announcing that the company would make Bitcoin its official currency. That becomes effective today. And in preparation for that, El Salvador purchased around uh, 400 Bitcoin with plans to buy a lot more in order to, you know, make this transition. The 400 Bitcoin that El Salvador purchased amounts to around $20 million in value. The country is aiming to make Bitcoin legal tender alongside the U.S. dollar, which until today had served as the nation's official currency. Citizens in El Salvador will, at least theoretically, be able to use Bitcoin for all financial transactions within the country, including paying taxes. While cryptocurrency fans might be excited, the same is not true for citizens inside El Salvador. The, uh, Majority of citizens have expressed concern about this change. Some point to the fact that criminals often rely on Bitcoin in order to launder money from their illegal exploits, and that El Salvador has a history of corruption, including with the present government, and that might mean that that corruption is about to get a whole lot worse in that country. Other people in El Salvador are worried that the change is going to have a negative impact on their personal finances. The volatility of Bitcoin is well-established, and so there's a legit fear that stuff like pensions could get wiped out by another big dip in the Bitcoin market, just like the one we saw earlier this year. Now, the currency has recovered quite a bit since it had that dip. It hasn't gotten back to the all-time highs it was in in early spring 2021, but it has recovered a lot of the value that it lost. But not all of it, and the value still is fluctuating quite a lot. As I record this, the government in El Salvador has had to respond to emerging issues during the adoption process, including putting a hold on a digital wallet app that's backed by the government. So it's the official El Salvador Bitcoin app, and it's been put on hold because of a high demand, a, a, a greater demand than they expected, and that it was starting to tax the, the servers. Uh, a significant population within El Salvador may not even be able to access the cryptocurrency at all because there is a significant digital divide in the country. So a lot of people have no computer or smartphone. They would have no way to access a digital wallet, which means they can't even participate in that part of the economy. Now, you might wonder why El Salvador is depending upon a currency like Bitcoin at all or why it was dependent upon the U.S. dollar beforehand. Well, some countries, like they're at a point where they would not be able to offer up a stable currency. It could be a currency that is uh, that fluctuates wildly in value, which is not financially stable for all the people of that country. So they, in this case, El Salvador was dependent upon a larger, more stable uh, country, that of the United States, at least when we get to the value of the dollar, it's larger and more stable. Uh, and that the switch to Bitcoin means that you're no longer uh, dependent upon another nation's currency. Bitcoin, of course, is, you know, it's it's agnostic as far as nationality is concerned. So there's that uh, as well. Plus, there was that whole corruption stuff that I was talking about. There are several reasons. None of them are necessarily great for the majority of El Salvador's population, and I am concerned about that. 
We've got a few more news items to cover before we close out, but before I get to that, let's take another quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so The Verge has an article that's titled Automated Hiring Software is Mistakenly Rejecting Millions of Viable Job Candidates. And the piece cites a study from the Harvard Business School that's looking into such software. And you've probably heard about this type of software. Employers use it to comb through job applications, and they do it so that they can weed out applicants who are just not suitable for a particular position and then just focus on the ones who are 
quote unquote, the best fit. So the whole idea is just, you know, not to eliminate folks who aren't a good fit, but really to find the right people to match with the right job, which ideally is the best solution for everyone because the job applicant lands a gig for which they were best suited and the company ends up getting the best candidate to fill a position. Only that's not what's necessarily happening according to the study. The report says that software like what I just described is actually rejecting millions of people who are qualified for the positions that they apply for and it contributes to an issue in which there are people who are ready and able and willing to work but they're not able to land a position because of these issues. That's bad news for everyone in this system. It's really bad news for all the people who are trying to land a job because it means they consistently can't, but it's also bad news for the employers because they are potentially missing out on hiring the perfect candidate because some AI software mistakenly put their application on the rejection pile. According to the report, 75% of U.S. employers and 99% of Fortune 500 companies use this kind of software to filter through job applicants. As for the reasons behind the high rejection error, those are many and they are varied. It really depends upon which criteria the software is weighing as being the most important in order to weed out unsuitable applications. So one example that The Verge points out is that the software could reject an application that includes an employment gap of six months or more. Now, that would have meant that I would have been eliminated once upon a time because I worked for a company for seven years, steadily employed, but then they eliminated my position. So I wasn't fired. I just didn't have a job anymore. I realize the distinction is a fine one. And I must admit, it was lost upon me at the time, and arguably still is. But anyway, you know, I was out of work for six months while trying to get another job. And it wasn't that I was unqualified. It wasn't that I wasn't looking for work. I was doing both of those things. It was just a really bad time to be out of work when it happened to me. And I was caught up in that. It was just a bad job market. Well, that sort of thing happens all the time. And this type of criteria in software then exacerbates it, right? If the software just says, oh, well, this person's not reliable because they haven't had a job in six months, that doesn't necessarily reflect poorly on the person. It could reflect poorly on everything else, but then the person gets the punishment for it. Meanwhile, you have this growing pool of people who are seeking jobs, who are getting rejected. So they're back in the job hunt and they're looking for more stuff. So they're more likely to apply to lots of different positions for which they're qualified in the hopes of landing something. But that means that the companies that are posting those positions are going to see even more applicants as more rejections join the job pool. And that means that they get flooded with applicants, which means that they feel like they have to rely upon this kind of software in order to do that initial sorting. And thus we see the problem get worse and it feeds upon itself cycle after cycle. And as the software becomes more entrenched in this hiring process, it gets harder to shift to a different approach. Now, I wish I had a happy ending to this story, but unless companies across industries make a concerted effort to change, or unless the organizations that offer these services work really hard to eliminate those errors, this is going to keep going. And yes, I recognize the irony that some of those job-seeking companies have advertised on this show. Now, to be clear, I think their mission is admirable. The idea of let's make it easier for the right people to find the right jobs. I think that's great. That's a fantastic mission. 
I also think that, at least in some cases, the execution of that mission really needs some work. Analytics firm App Annie reports that Android users are spending more time watching content on TikTok than on YouTube on a monthly basis, and that this has been going on since August of last year here in the United States. And over in the UK, it's been going on since May of last year. So on average, users were spending around 22 hours and 40 minutes per month watching content on YouTube, but a full 24 hours per month watching content on TikTok. That's a lot of TikTok, because those videos tend to be pretty short, and YouTube has been leaning harder toward promoting long-form content. So it's two totally different content strategies. So for TikTok to overtake YouTube is pretty darn impressive, because that's so many videos. All I can say is that I contributed more toward YouTube because I watch maybe five or six TikTok videos a month because I'm old and I'm out of touch. That's not even really a joke. It's more of a true statement. But the report was focused solely on Android devices. I do not have any details about iOS devices, but I would be shocked if it was a much different story. I figure it's probably somewhere along the same lines. Also, while users were spending more time on TikTok than on YouTube, I should point out YouTube still has way more active users than TikTok does. So when it comes down to overall numbers, YouTube is still well in the lead. But it was interesting to see the viewing trends are favoring TikTok. And our final story is about a man named Gilbert Michaels, who recently received a prison sentence of four years for the crime of selling printer toner for way too much money to small businesses and nonprofit organizations. The 79-year-old had been selling toner to these smaller entities for decades at a huge markup, sometimes up to 10 times the actual market price for toner, which, if you've ever shopped for toner, you know is already wicked expensive. And he used the good old telemarketer fraud approach to do it, And it was effective. He was doing this as far back as the 1970s, and prosecutors said that in one six-year span, he made $126 million defrauding clients and selling them toner at elevated prices. Michaels was found guilty on charges of mail fraud, money laundering, and conspiracy back in 2019. So this was just his sentencing trial. He had already been found guilty of the crimes. And this story is pretty awful. So essentially, Michaels and his conspirators would contact these various targets, these small businesses and charities, often posing as representatives for legit vendors, companies that had an established relationship with the targets and had sold them toner in the past. So they would essentially pose as these legitimate vendors, and then they would say, oh, so the price of toner has increased, however... Uh, We will continue to sell you toner at the lower price, you know, to help you out. So go ahead and agree to purchase the next box of toner. And then they would get someone to sign over on that. They would then send the toner, but they would send an invoice with an, uh, an enormously inflated price for the toner. So instead of that lower price they had set on the phone, it ends up being a much, much higher price. And then they would threaten legal action and uh, and collections agencies and such if the target refused to pay up. Or they would charge exorbitant restocking fees if the clients returned the toner. So it was definitely shady, illegal stuff. So yeah, not all tech crime involves cryptocurrency and hacking. Sometimes it just involves good old fraud on the telephone and some insanely expensive toner. 
And that's the tech news for Tuesday, September 7th, 2021. If you have suggestions for things I should cover on the show, any tech companies or technologies that you're interested in, or trends in tech, reach out to me on Twitter. The handle is techstuffhsw, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.